is the 90 Plus Podcast. With your host, Ben Rigetti and Sebastian Pereira. Welcome back. We are the 90 Plus Podcast. I'm Ben Rigetti and my co-host, as always, joins me, Sebastian Pereira, bringing you all the latest news and updates surrounding everything Vancouver Whitecaps related. We're here at episode 18 with a special guest coming in the second half of the episode. Whitecaps midfielder and academy product Patrick Metcalf joined myself and Sebastian a little bit earlier on. We catch up with him about how the team's doing, about his journey to where he's at so far, and what the future for him is going to look like. So be sure to stay tuned for that later on. However, right now, we've got quite a bit to dive into. Sebastian, good news, buddy. The Whitecaps got a win. They beat Toronto uh, on Saturday 3-2. It was a good game. Myself and Spat, we were both there. You know, it was, it was a good day, Sebastian. It's, it's feeling good right now to be a Whitecaps fan, and I can't remember the last time you said that. Yeah, as you said, it was great to be there and actually like witness it live. I mean, not a lot of people in Vancouver can say they were there at the game watching it and um, really just looking at the players and all the coaching staff really get pumped up and you could see the confidence in their veins. They were so happy um, about getting that win at the final whistle as well. So it was a great experience overall. The team thoroughly deserve it. Um, and yeah, it was, it was great to be at the game. We saw a lot of great stuff from the boys in blue and white. Um, it's, it's a lot to break down, honestly, because um, again, it's another formation that MDS uses, but um, there's some positives, some negatives, and yeah, we're, we're going to get real into it uh, in this podcast as well. Um, we'll, we'll start it off with a little bit of game analysis on that um, TFC win, and then we'll uh, bring in Patrick Metcalf and we'll talk to him uh, about the game and uh, about his experience in Orlando. So um, without further ado, Ben, let's, let's kick off this analysis on the game. Let's do it. All right. So unless you've been living under a rock on the Whitecaps, uh, you know, social media, whatever, the Whitecaps did break a nasty-looking four-game winless streak against Toronto last Saturday. You know, there was a couple of goals out there, and it wasn't in a penalty shootout or whatever. You know, there was, there was some decent spells of some good quality soccer. Uh, Cavallini opened up the scoring. It's only 16 minutes into the game, so starting off nice and early. And he, you know, how good does that feel for him to get that first goal, open the account for the new side, you know, all eyes have been on him. He, he admitted himself he hasn't been performing. And, you know, that was the best game we've seen from him in a Whitecaps jersey all around. So we're going to break that down in a second. Uh, Osorio tied it up about 10 minutes later. Uh, Andy Rose caught a little bit uh, lazy in the box and he was uh, beaten to the ball by Osorio. Tucked it past to Saul, so that was 1-1 heading into halftime. And then someone who I've, we're going to mention a lot this podcast, Baldissimo, Baldi. Uh, you know, we've got we to gotta come up with a better nickname than Baldi. You know, that sounds, it sounds too cruel. It sounds like this, you know, old middle-aged man from, I don't know, uh, Sudbury or something. You know, it's, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with one. In the, but for the meantime, Baldi, Baldissimo. He uh, put the Whitecaps back out in front, his first career MLS strike, uh, 56 minutes, 25 yards out, just had a pot, and he absolutely did. So he put the And Ben out. got it on video as well from the I media got it box. on video, <laughs> up in the booth, you know, I, was, I, I had a good feeling, I had a good feeling, and you know what, mm. it paid off. So 
uh, all's well there. Uh, and then uh, Toronto, unfortunately, you know, as they do, came roaring back in the 70th minute. Uh, that was, was that Pesuelo, I believe? Yeah, it was Pesuelo yeah, with the header at the back post. Yeah, so, you know, as you heard, uh, a header at the back post for Pesuelo. Uh, tied it up in the 70th minute, but then seven minutes later, shotgun Jake steps forward for the white cap. Nowinski, <laughs> you know, the sixth guard. We've, oh, that, was, that was a fantastic press conference after the game. We'll talk about that in a minute too. But Nowinski gets on the end of a cross from Andy Rose, of all people, who tucked it home inside the six-yard box and the Whitecaps held out for a narrow, exciting, just more entertaining and dynamic 3-2 victory than anything we've seen over the last couple of months even for Vancouver. So the ball is rolling for the boys. And Sebastian, what's, what are your big takeaways from this game? A lot. There's so much positives um, from this game. And I think, honestly, I think it's probably one of the biggest wins um, that I've seen live at BC Place, honestly. I mean, um, and I've been to a lot of games, but it, just the importance of the victory in this moment for this team, um, it was just great to be there and to see them really come through, put in a performance like that. Um, MDS himself said after the press conference they weren't satisfied with the performance. They said they could do a lot better. I mean, obviously it's a step in the right direction, but he, he still wasn't 100% pleased with the performance. So, um, he said they're going to work on a couple of things in training. Um, and I think one positive thing that he, he can take from this game is the fact that they move the ball around a lot more efficiently. Um, we've talked about it in games past where there's a lot of gaps in midfield and it seems like the midfield and the attack are a bit disjointed. But it seemed like the game on Saturday, the boys just looked a lot more uh, freshened up and they, they were able to control the spaces, really move the ball a lot more efficiently. Um, I think the first goal is a great example of that play because um, I think it was like 20-plus passes they made before that. I think it came to 27, the whole attack. 27, the whole attack. So that leads to Baldy picking the ball up in midfield. And it's what we've been saying all along ever since um, he made his debut last week, honestly. And we said it a lot to each other during the game, Ben. Like, this guy can really move the ball. He's really the facilitator at the back of the of the three midfielders. And – He's show, he was showing it early on in the game, and then um, he provides another incredible crossfield ball to Aliana, who's in a load of space, like crazy amounts of space. And he whips in the perfect ball for Lucas Cavallini to head home his first goal, and that's the, the service that Cavallini thrives on. And I think if the Whitecaps can continue moving the ball around like that, no doubt about it, they'll have so much success going forward. I think that's, that's, a, that's a goal that MDS will continue to show the boys in the locker room a lot. Yeah, I think we're going to be talking about that goal as almost a reference point for the rest of whatever the regular season's going to be after these Canadian games. You know, really well worked. And, you know, you touched it all on, the, on it there. 20-plus passes. Uh, Baldissimo, the long stretch pass to send Adnan into a bunch of space. And, yeah, it, it was really well worked. And it, it was almost just a sigh of relief. You know, you could just see it from the players. Like, that was an earned goal. It wasn't, you know... Uh, a penalty kick or it wasn't you know against the run of play really it was they had the ball they moved it around nicely and again uh, Patrick's uh, Metcalf says uh, later in the episode that uh, what we saw from Baldy in that game is really something that you know we can come to expect some people saw it as a surprise that he scored that goal and he has this you know archery like sort of passing ability and 
he's able just to pick these players out. He's saying that everyone's impressed. He's like, whoa, who is this guy? And he's saying that, like, it's, you know, the guys in training are, have seen it this whole time. And it's nothing new to them. So, you know, the sale of Inbaum, we couldn't quite get uh, really at least, you know, it's, it's a small sample size for Baldissimo so far. It's, it's, it's been two games. We've been very impressed in, you know, in most, if not every aspect of his game so far. Uh, and it's, again, it's, it's hard to say because it's only been two games, but really looks like he is kind of taking the spike plugs and his, he's been everything that we wanted Inbaum to be. You know, he, uh, I, we obviously don't want to get caught up too much in Inbaum. He's no, obviously no longer with the club, hasn't been for a, a few weeks now. The team's getting used to it, but uh, it's, it's, it's been a real good filler piece right now for Baldissimo. And he's, you know, he's fighting for his spot in the starting lineup here. Yeah, no, and he's definitely solidified himself as, like, a first-team player now, I feel like. After a performance like that, um, he's obviously been moving the ball around a lot, and that's a big part of why the Whitecaps were able to move the ball so much in this game against TFC. Um, And you look at the goal as well. Just going back to the goal, I just want to kind of go back to the goal there. Um, You see the run of Owusu uh, on the far side, and it's it's almost like the Whitecaps are – overloading the opposite side of the field because they know with Baldissimo's ability to pass the ball around, they can make that early switch real quick. And Adnan, again, is in a load of space, like literally touching the touchline. And they overload the far side with Cavallini, Awusu. I think Malinkovic is on that side as well. And then Baldissimo just sneaks in. Um, It's an easy pass to Baldi. And then he makes a a wonderful cross-field pass. And then Adnan has all the time in the world, you know, to really be the Ali Adnan of last year where he was just venturing forward. I think we saw a lot of that during this game as well. Uh, Adnan just venturing forward and really looking more like his own self. And, um, again, it's it's such a smart play from MDS, I have to give it to him, because when you have a player of Baldi's ability to just instantly change the game like that with the cross-field ball, it's – it, it can work in your favor so much. And um, that uh, that just shows you, like, that tactic right there just shows you how much and how important uh, Baldi is to this team now. Like, he's definitely solidified himself as a first-team player, I'd say. Um, and just imagine, like, if they had a number 10 alongside him, like, imagine how well that midfield would be. Like, it would be so much better. Um, I mean, I'm not saying it's bad right now I'd say it's improving a lot the past two games you've seen a lot of improvement from it but just imagine if we had that one number 10 South American European experience maybe it would just blow the midfield away so mm-hmm. um I think I think it's a very positive sign to see Baldissimo really grow into this team and I think he's going to be a big part of it going forward well you mentioned some tactics there by uh, MDS and you know trying to overload one side flip it to the other uh, you know, something that, you know, we can't ignore. Another formation uh, for the starting mm-hmm. lineup for that yeah. game. Uh, he went for uh, uh, the 4-3-1-2. And I, straight away looking at it, I was a fan. I didn't know quite sure how it would play out. But just in 30 seconds, I just kind of think. Also, uh, another point, Eric Doy, back in the starting lineup, his first minutes in 2020. You know, it's good to have him back out in the field. He's, you know, leader. He's been at the club for a, a little while now. So it's good to have that sort of veteran presence and even just you know uplifting that someone of his defensive caliber getting back out in the field he's pushed through you know this nagging annoying knee injury for what seems like forever now and just that the fact that there's lightly under the tunnel when he started this game 
I think that's a huge morale boost even before uh, we saw him play. So I think that was, uh, you know, especially for the, you know, the media as well. Like there wasn't really that many people in the stands, obviously closed doors and everything. Uh, not to flex on the listeners. Uh, <laughs> no, but it was, it, was, it was good. And you could see that, you know, Eric Cador was happy to be back out there. You know, he loves the team. He loves what he does for you know, his career, obviously, playing. And it was at right back. It wasn't his typical center back. But I think, I think regardless, having him back out there, it, it's, it, it's just it's a nice story. It's good to see him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I'd say there was definitely a couple of times where he looked a, a lot like himself and a lot like the version we're used to him like seeing of him, but um, MD has said, say after the game, he still needs a little bit more time, you know, to really adjust, gain that fitness back up. It's almost been like a year since he's last played um, an actual game. So um, he did look at times a bit off, a bit shaky. Um, There was a couple of times where TFC just got down his side a lot and we're whipping a lot of balls in. Um, Evidently the the substitution of – him coming off for Nerwinski proved really vital in the end, I would say, obviously, because the six guy, you know, doing what he does um, in the box. Um, but uh, I think as these final two Canadian games get played, we'll see probably Godoy, we'll probably see more of that. Maybe Godoy starting or Nerwinski starting, and then they play like half a game each other. Um, just so Godoy can really get back into the field of things and really um, get used to that style of play of MLS, which is a very physical league. Again, a lot of players say it. So, um, yeah, hopefully he can adjust real quick. Uh, we'll go back to the formation just because you were talking about that, Ben. Uh, again, it's another formation. You said 4-3-1-2. Um, and I, I got to say, like, I myself was – I feel like there was a lot of positives from this game for the Whitecaps, but I don't think – I don't think the 4-3-1-2 would be something they should really – keep on going with okay yeah i don't expand expand on that let's hear it okay (laughs) sure thing (laughs) um it i don't know there was just at times during the game it was so weird and i i told you this during the game i pulled you over and i was like bro like i I feel like there's something like wrong here it's it's weird because at times when it i think it's maybe a a a team thing against Mm -hmm. tfc that they maybe have set it up for um, and maybe they might not be as shaky at it, like in this formation in the future mm-hmm. against other teams, but I feel like specifically against TFC where you got Alejandro Pesuelo and um, Pablo Piotti, two really creative players. I think we saw the best of both of them on Saturday night. It was great to see them play live uh, for the first time, but Pesuelo, since he has that free role in the center midfield, he often has to drag one of the white caps players out wide. So that would be one of the, one of the three midfielders um, for the white caps. And uh, on the game, it was a Wusu and Tybert. So at times either a Wusu or Tybert will have to get dragged out wide to defend um, maybe a TFC player out wide, trying to put a cross in or go one V one against the fullbacks. And that in turn um, created a lot of space in midfield. Mm-hmm. Um, it left a little bit of a gap between Baldissimo uh, and the defense where Pozuelo would then – Pozuelo or Piotti would drift back in, and that's why they were able to find so much success from that. You look at both of TFC's goals, and both of them were from space in between the middle, yeah. and they worked it out wide, and that's how they got their goals. Um, but then that's what happens, though. Baldi isn't as experienced defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't 
really too sharp on the defensive side in his position where it's more of like a defensive role. Um, he has to be more aware of uh, the playmaker in the team. That was Pasuelo, and he wasn't really keeping up with him too much. Pasuelo was given too much freedom. And because the Whitecaps only had two attackers up top, it was Baron Cavallini, um, it kind of caused them to be outnumbered when the player, the midfielders for the Whitecaps would go out wide to support the fullbacks of the Whitecaps, and then that would create a huge space in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would also happen, for example, when they came too inside, when they became too shallow and they they got a bit too deep and um, they would just to leave the fullbacks to defend on their own to cover the middle for um, for Pesuelo to not be able to pick up the ball. So that in turn allowed TFC to create a lot of opportunities out wide. Um, so it was mm-hmm. it was it's really a, a weird formation for me to really I guess take in. Um, I would I would probably prefer for them to go with the four three three, but I think there's pod- positives to this formation, and if they can work it out, they will maybe continue with it. I think the partnership up top was really good as well with mm-hmm. Cavallini and Bear. Yeah, Sebastian, for me, I'm not too sure if I can agree with that completely. I think the 4-3-1-2, it had a lot of potential there. I'm not going to say it's it should be their go-to for the future. And uh, I do agree with you that I think the 4-3-3 fits the Whitecap style of play more and it fits the team. Really, yeah, really just kind of fits all the players and everything uh, a little bit better than the 4-3-1-2. But I don't know if it was that kind of extreme, I guess, as you say. Uh, one thing about the midfield, and I said this to you in the game, and I wanted to make sure to bring it up on the podcast, uh, was that Baldissimo sat quite a bit further back than both Urusu and Tybert. And that 10, 12, 15 yards of space really caused a lot of problems. And that's where I think where you're talking about where Toronto was able to find that space in that middle of that sort of uh, upside down triangle, I guess, if you want to call it. Uh, Arusu and Tybert sat a little bit higher forward and obviously you don't want to give Toronto 15 yards of space in the middle of the field so one of those two will have to come in and cut them off before they get those extra 15 yards to Baldissimo who like I said is a little bit further back Um, and obviously if you do that if Arusu or Tybert cut in then obviously they've got that whole side and uh, we saw Arusu doing this a bit more than Tybert I think that's just because he has a bit more energy and uh, dynamic I guess more in defense exposing uh, Eric Godoy, who doesn't have a lot of minutes, who's still not completely healthy. So that's where I think we saw Godoy isolated quite a lot, and Toronto took advantage of that quite a bit. Uh, so I do think that if they could sort of work that midfield out a little bit better, uh, where those three midfielders either uh, shift more as a unit rather than sort of individually and like picking each other's pay, uh, places after uh, one, or one uh, of the midfielders step in, I do think there's a lot of potential there. And like I said, I do agree the 4-3-3 realistically going forward would be uh, what I would put my money on. But really at this point in the season, we know that in terms of formations, we could see anything. Uh, I, I think Bikel coming in over Tiber in this formation would work. But I'm not saying that they should stick to this 4-3-1-2, but I do think that it wouldn't be the end of the world if we saw this come up against Montreal. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there's both positives and a couple of little, like, as I said before, they're, like, with the explanation on the defending uh, side of the formation. But I think there there are a lot of positives with this formation. Again, we saw, uh, again, Ali Adnan looking more like himself because he was having more time on the ball. He was um, able to, you know, go 1v1, get balls into the box. And um, as well, there was just a lot more ball playing around the midfield. There was a lot more... Um, 
play amongst the strikers as well. That's something I really noticed as well. Um, Theo Bear and Cavallini were combining well. And it's also a, another factor of spacing as well because um, since Theo Bear and Cavallini are both really – they really have that presence, you know, of strong, bulky strikers that like to go to every ball, attack every ball, head every ball, and just hold play the hold-up game as well. Um, they both really – take that space up in midfield and they can sometimes distract opposing players to take up space and allow um, teammates to run in behind or something like that. That's something we noticed a lot in the game on Saturday. Um, and uh, I think that worked really well in this formation, the partnership of the two, um, even, even in the first goal as well, where Theo Bear is distracting some of the player TFC players on the far side. It, it almost allows Cavallini to just ghost in behind C-Man and put that ball in the back of the net. Um, as as well as on set pieces. They're both two um, threats on, on set pieces. We saw that in the Norwinsky goal um, late on where Cornelius himself got forward and he distracted a couple TFC defenders for Rose to put the ball in um, into the middle. And, and yeah, I think, as you said, Ben, there's, there's a potential with Milinkovic in that position. Obviously, he's more of a, obviously more of a wide player, but I think we saw a little bit more of of the old him as well, what we saw earlier on in the season, because I think uh, maybe since the San Jose game, he hasn't really been um, the player we expected him to be. Mm-hmm. Um, he he was able to dribble more, you know, win a couple more fouls and get involved more with the play. I still want to see him more, you know, take a lot more shots on goal and stuff like that. But I think it was a very positive outing from Milinkovic. And um, overall, I think the team played really well. Uh, I think it was a deserved victory defensively. They were shaky at times, um, but Cornelius stepped up big in those big moments as well. So um, I think I think with that, we'll just jump into player ratings because I'm just talking about players right now, and I could yeah. maybe start getting into that as well, yeah. Uh, so obviously, uh, I think the one penciled-in name you can guarantee, at least for the time being, Thomas Hassall, you know, he's ever since Orlando, obviously he's been – uh, the Whitecaps go-to guy right now, uh, with Capo being out with the thumb injury. Uh, I, I went for a seven out of ten. Really, uh, you know, he had a solid game, made a, you know a number of pretty good saves. Nothing exceptional. He didn't. He didn't. You know, keep the team. Mm, the I, I wouldn't agree with you, bro. Nothing. Bro, okay. he made two good saves. He made two really good saves. That was, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm, not saying, <laughs> I'm not saying that like there was, he didn't like have anything to do with the game. Oh yeah. Anything, okay. But, uh, I, I, I think I'm going with a set. He did allow two goals, and I don't think either he mm. really did, could have done much with the goals. But at the same time, if you're goalie and you're allowing two goals, I'm not going to give you a 10 out of 10. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, so I'm, I was debating between a 7 and a 7.5, and I've seen some of the 7.5s I've given him in the past, and I just didn't think it was close. But at the same time, like, I think that uh, the defense built him out a bit. Uh, Toronto hit the post once. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I, I went for a seven, but I could I could see how it could be higher. Yeah, I, th- I think I think a seven is fair. I mean, I did I didn't think he came up really big in some moments, especially on the Piotti hit. Uh, I think it was early on in the second half where he Five denied something like yeah, that. where he denied Piotti with a great save. Um, he made an also brilliant save to preserve the game at the end um, off of Jonathan Azorio Volley again. Um, and I think he's been really good. I think we even heard it firsthand in the stadium that he was really vocal, uh, as we've seen in the broadcast. He was really vocal. I could hear him from the top of the media box and mm-hmm. um, really vocal with what he wants. So that's just going to give him more confidence. And um, 
I think I think I might just go with an eight here because okay, because of how important that last save was, honestly. And mm-hmm. uh, he came up big in that moment, so um, nothing but good for Thomas Asal again. All right, and then moving on, Ali Adnan, someone who I've been quite critical of in the last month or so. Uh, but you know, I'll, I'll give him credit where credit's due. He had a very solid game. Uh, he grabbed the assist on the Cavallini goal. He created four chances, I think it was, according to who scored. Uh, yeah, he he def- you know locked down defenders uh, like the attackers decently well at his left back spot. Uh, he got forward when necessary. I gave him a seven point five, but again, I could flex that to an eight maybe. I think he played very well. Not not yeah. very, I, I won't say very well, but he. He had it was a big game for him. I think he, I think he, I think he knew that the last couple of games weren't his best, and this was a more of a statement performance for him. Yeah, I think I think he looked like I said before. He looked more like his old self. Like mm-hmm. he was able to dribble forward a lot more. There was a couple of times where he got past uh, TFC players, and again, he's he's a great kicker of the ball. He's really good at whipping balls into the area, and he proved to be a big part of that with uh, the first and the third goal. Um, so I think, I think he's looked a lot more like his own self. And, um, and again, according to who scored, he had three key passes. So it's, it was a great outing for Madman. Um, you said 7.5, 7? 7.5. 7.5. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think on the defensive side at times he was a little bit shaky, Mm -hmm. but, but not too, not, not too much where I would say, okay, like, like he 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 wasn't as bad or, or as previous games or something like that, but uh, that's something you're gonna get with Adnan as well. We know he's not the best defensive player, but he's still a really good attacking player. He's a strong guy, so uh, it's something. It's an area he can improve upon, but I'm sure he he'll address that and uh, he'll continue to perform. I think he's just gonna keep uh, improving from from this point forward and continue to bring the performances we're used to. All right, so uh, into the center backs now. Derek Cornelius, I thought he had a huge. He, he huge. it was a quietly sneaky, very good game. I was very impressed by him. Not even that sneaky and quiet. I think he really made his presence known. Uh, yeah, I was I was pretty impressed by a lot of what he had going on too. I got, I went seven point five for Cornelius as well. I think he won a lot of aerial battles. He had a first ten minutes. He wasn't that too involved, but really after. 10, 15 minutes into the game, he took over that penalty box. Yeah, no, he was immense, especially when Pasuela would pick the ball up uh, at the top of the box and try whipping balls in late on in the game. He was superb at clearing the ball. Um, again, we're looking at who scored here, and it says he made three tackles, and all three of them were successful tackles, so big props to him for that. Um, he got almost a team high nine clearances. Adnan beat him out on that surprisingly. Adnan had 12 clearances, just checking right now. Um, and Cornelius ended up with nine. Uh, he also had a one block. Um, he won two aerial duels. Really? I, I don't, I feel like there was a lot more than that, honestly. And it seemed more at least. It seemed like a lot more than just two. Um, so, so I think. You're agreeing with a 7.5? Yeah, I'm agreeing with the 7.5. Again, he was huge. I think he's a player that's, um, really improved this season. Um, apart from the Sporting KC game earlier on in the year where he was a little bit shaky, I, I'd say um, he's probably the Whitecaps' best defender. And that's coming from someone, myself. I wasn't very high on him yeah. um, at the start of the season. I, I knew he had that one really good performance again, uh, for Canada against the States where he was incredibly good. I think that's probably his best game in his career. But 
Um, other than that, I wasn't really leaning towards him, but uh, he's he's really proved himself lately, and uh, I think he's going to be a big part of what MDS continues to build on. He's really going to be a core player uh, in the in the years to come for this Whitecaps side. Yeah, no, I agree. He's changed a lot of people's opinions, mine as well. Uh, and then someone whose opinion I've changed as well a bit, but for the negative side, Andy Rose. Uh, I was really high on him coming into the season and uh, after that LA Galaxy game. But since then, obviously he didn't go down to Orlando. What we've seen of him since uh, the restart in this phase to play, it, it hasn't been great, I'll be honest. Uh, I, I gave him a 5.5 for the game against Toronto. Uh, he was slow a bit. He got beat by Osorio for the first goal and a challenge that I would kind of expect him to make and get there. He did get an assist on Nowinski's goal, but I think that's probably the biggest uh, bonus or positive I could take away from his game. He just, he, he I, I don't know. I, th- I think you've got Ranko on the bench. Uh, Godoy's coming back to being healthy. Kamiri's fighting in the practices and stuff. So I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Ranko against Montreal instead of Andy Rose. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think he's he's not been um, as well in these last couple of games in the Canadian series. I think um, he's, he's not really building out from the back as much. Um, and I think the second goal as well kind of proves that, that he's not um, – really a, a really I guess in terms of awareness in terms of vision around the box he's just not really fit really for that type of role too yeah. much um I think he's still more of a midfielder in a sense or maybe he's better fitted in like a three at the back system out wide uh-huh. um and you look at the second goal and he just completely loses Pasuelo. uh he's nowhere near him and um he just kind of drifts away from him uh, on the first goal as well, it's just a little bit of uh, miscommunication with Godoy. Uh, he's not telling Godoy to push back and really cover Osorio. Um, so I don't know. It's 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 a weird it's a weird thing with Andy Rose, and he's a great servant for the club and a lot of youngsters within the first team, and as well as the academy praise him so much for uh, all the guidance he's given them. But I think it was just a little bit of a shaky uh, performance from Rose. Uh, at times he was. Uh, all right, but I think um, I think you really need to put Ranko in uh, for the Montreal games. Ranko really gives you a little bit more solidity at the back, and he, he can build uh, out of the back as well, which is why I think Cornelius um, has improved so much as well because it's allowed Cornelius to play out of the back as well. So I think Rank, we could probably see Ranko starting the Montreal games. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the academy players there. Just a reminder that we do have our interview with Patrick Metcalf coming up in just a few minutes here once we uh, conclude these player ratings and give our final thoughts moving forward. So just stay, be sure to stay tuned for that. Uh, closing out the defense, I, I know I don't usually do this, but I put uh, Godoy and Jake Nowinski on there. I don't usually include subs, but they both played exactly you know half a game each, so I figured it'd be uh, put them both in there. Eric Godoy, I went for a five, and unfortunately that's my lowest rating of the day. Uh, he, he just wasn't ready, you know. The game passed by him, and uh, I touched on it earlier that he got isolated a little bit at times when Owusu would chip in to help Baldissimo in the middle. But I think outright at, white, uh, at right back, I just think that he, he just wasn't – you could see he wasn't completely there. And uh, Mark DeSantos said it uh, post-game as well that he, we're going to ease him into the squad and – uh, you know, it's going to be a while before he plays the full 90 minutes and all that sort of stuff. So uh, 
yeah, Eric Godoy, a five, just, you know, he, it, it, it wasn't his best. He was out in the fields and it was good to see him back out there, but that's really all I can say for him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And again, he's coming up against two uh, or three, I should say, really creative players in Osorio, Piatti, and Pasuelo. Um, at times, two of those three would be out wide, uh, overloading that side, and that would force Uusuada to come out and help Godoy or sometimes leave him there to just do his own thing, um, which is what we spoke about earlier. And uh, I think going up those type of players where they're kind of already settled into the rhythm of the game and they're, they, they've got a number of games under their belt already this season, um, it's difficult for a guy who's been out injured for about the better part of eight, nine months, I'd say. Um, so it's difficult for him to come back into this lineup and really show the player we're used to him being. Um, again, we're going to see him ease in a little bit more, and I think it was good to get him out there, you know, to give him the game time and make sure he's aware of what he needs to work on and um, get him the game fitness he needs because we need him back to full fitness at some point, right? So um, I think it, it was obviously not the best performance coming back from from injury, but uh, I think it's something he can build off of in terms of going forward. He was a little bit better with his passing, um, and he played a big part in the uh, first goal as well. He was part of the build-up to that goal. So uh, I think I think it's a, a five is solid because, I mean, we, we can't be too harsh, but we can't be too positive on, on a guy who's just coming back from injury. There's a lot more we, we, can, we can definitely see from Godoy going forward. Uh, and then his substitute, obviously he came off at halftime, coming on the sixth guard, Jake Nowinski. The sixth uh, guard. If the, that don't get the reference, he, uh, the king, he scored the king of the six, man. He, uh, in the post game, he, he said he lives in the six or is something along the, I think it was lives in the six, right? That was the, yeah, he lives uh, in the six. He's the king of the six. He's the six God, man. Yeah, like, he, that's the second of the year inside the six yard box. And it's only fitting that I think I gave him a six. The six god, the six god gets it gets his six. You know, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, he was better than Godoy. There's, I don't think there's much debate about that. But he wasn't great. He, uh, it, it was really just nothing special, I guess, from Nowinski. And sometimes it is hard coming into a game, and uh, especially at halftime, like it's not even like uh, you know, you're coming into the game and it's been flowing, and the rest of the teammates are going. Everyone's just been in a break, calm down, and then hopping back out there, and you're going out there for the first time on the day it can be a bit difficult sometimes. I think it took him a little while to kind of really get into the swing of things. Uh, he obviously grabbed the game winner for that. I give him credit. Uh, six God lives on. Uh, but I, I just don't think he was, he was that special. And so I went for a six, nice and easy for Nowinski. Shotgun Jake. The yeah. real shotgun Jake in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so many nicknames for Jake Nowinski now, obviously. Um, but again, he comes up big in a moment that's so key for the Whitecaps. Like, um, his first career game-winning goal uh, in the box, the six god just finishes off a great cross from Andy Rose. I think um, aside from the goal, he didn't do too much. Uh, at times he got forward, but he was just kind of lacking the final ball. It's a story we've said a lot with Nerwinski. I think I think it's great for Jake. I think he's a guy who's really led by example this season. Obviously, he's the Whitecaps head of uh, the MLSPA, so he represents the Whitecaps in that organization. So. He's done, he's done really well, you know, to really bring a little bit more leadership to the side. And he's going more as a as a team player in terms of, yeah, I can step up and be that leader and motivate young younger guys to really show their best and stuff like that. Um, so I think he's thoroughly deserved of the goal. And, uh, yeah, I think we, we can't give him anything else than a six. Rude, I mean, he rude, is, rude. 
It would be rude. I mean, he's the six god. What else, what else do you want us to say? The king of the six. He lives in the six. He scored against the six. <laughs> and moving on uh, up to the midfield, we've talked about him quite a bit already, so we might try skip through them a little bit. Just We're getting a little bit crunched for time here. Uh, Russell Tiber, I've said it a hundred times, and I'm sure I'll say it again. Uh, I gave him a six. He, was, he wasn't great. He wasn't bad. He was just there, just kind of letting the game flow. Didn't really get too involved. I was kind of hoping that since he wasn't like the central central midfielder, uh, we might see him uh, like what he did against, I think it was Chicago when he was the left mid. Uh, down Seattle. The, the Seattle, Seattle game. Because I, I, really, I think that was the best game he's played this season. And I really liked the way he was able to control the ball and uh, help with the possession and going forward. Uh, in the less sort of dangerous and like threatening, but a little bit more like slow and steady build up, like we saw on that first goal. Uh, so I was kind of hoping for a bit more of that. It didn't happen. I was caught up high sometimes on defense, and again, that sort of we talked about that with Baltissimo and uh, players needing to pinch in and stuff. So yeah, Tiber, not great, not bad, just kind of there. So I went for a six for him. Yeah, I, I think a six is fair. Again, you you said it all there, Ben. I think he's just. He needs to get more involved with the game. And we know we, we said it a billion times, like he has the ability um, to pass the ball. He has the ability to get in the tackle and um, to go forward as well, have a shot at goal as well sometimes. Um, so we just got, he just needs to take more risk going forward at times. I think uh, at, on Saturday he would just take the easy option and go back. And um, soccer is a game of risk. Football is a game of risk. Um, so uh, you got to – push forward as well and try and risk some balls as well. Sometimes, obviously, it's good to keep possession, but sometimes you got to try and make that defense splitting pass to really open up things for your team. Uh, I think a six is fair for him. Uh, inside, uh, in the middle of the field there is uh, Baldy, my man of the match. I gave him an eight, highest rating on the day, and I think it's it'll be hard to uh, argue with me. Uh, obviously, it's he had the most passes on the team with 42, which is exactly what, you know, he's been brought to the team to do, get the ball distribution going a bit more. He had three tackles, which was tied for the most on the team. So, again, he's doing it on offense. He's doing it on defense. He obviously scored uh, that sweet uh, nut of a right shot, uh, off the right foot, I should say, uh, 25 yards out the free kick. First MRS goal, celebration capped it all off. So I think I went for an A, and I'm willing to flex that higher if you're feeling it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I mean, you got to give credit for the celebration as well. That was insane. That was a great celebration to cap off an amazing goal, a quality strike from, from 25 yards out. He caught it so sweetly and just unleashed an incredible strike into the bottom corner. It was a great first MLS goal for Baldy, and I think – uh, you can't argue with it. He was the man of the match by far in this game. He was so good at all the little things. I think, as I said before, he can improve a bit on his defending. Um, but I think it was a great showing of it of what he can really do going forward uh, on the offensive. So I think an eight is fair. I'm willing to go up to 10 if you want. But <laughs> we'll see for eight for now. Maybe against Montreal, I'll keep it going. But yeah, yeah eight we'll for see. now for Baldy. Uh, and then the last midfielder, or the, or the central midfielders, uh, Leonard Owusu, I had a difficult time coming up with the grade for this because he played well, but not great, but he didn't play poorly, but he didn't play average. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to... I, yeah. I, 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 I ended up going with a 6.5. Uh, in my, so these are my notes, and you tell me what you think about them. 
Similar to Tybert, no major contributions, more positive than negatives, however, went forward more than usual due to the formation, which, <coughs> excuse me. Um, yeah, no, I do think that, uh, yeah, because if I gave Thomas Asol a seven, um, I would struggle to give Owusu the same grade as Thomas Asol for that game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think kind of based off of that, I'm happy to go with 6.5, but I feel like having him just 0.5 higher than Tybert might be wrong. So I don't, <coughs> don't know where maybe a 6.8 if you want to, you know, get really technical, but uh, no, I think Owusu, 6.5, he defended well, he got forward a bit, not a whole lot, Didn't wasn't excessively on the ball or whatever, but he, he they did what I'm asked him to, so 6.5 for me. Yeah, I agree. Like, you said it perfectly, like, there just was, there wasn't much he did, there wasn't much he didn't do, there was, was he average, he was, like, like <laughs> everything you said was just put your spot on. on it. Yeah. yeah, it's just so, like, tough to grade him, I think. I think he was good. I think he was definitely a bit better in terms of passing at times. Uh, I think you mentioned it at the game, Ben, that he looked really good in terms of passing. Uh, I think that was one, probably the one big positive from Owusu's performance uh, in this game. Uh, and yeah, I think I think when Johnny Obikel comes back, he'll look more more confident to maybe go forward and uh, drift in the positions he really likes to go in. Um, at times, he would drift a little bit farther forward to, you know, occupy a space and distract TFC defenders as well, uh, as we as we talked about in the first goal. Um, but I think a 6.5 is is fair for Wusu. I think he, like you said, he didn't do anything too amazing or anything too uh, insane, uh, but he didn't do anything wrong, really. So, yeah. uh, And then sticking with the 6.5s, I got Milinkovic at Cam. Uh, similar sort of thing. He was... Like you said earlier, he's, you know, we, we more uses him being out on the wing and the width player. So he was a little bit out of position. He played well, but again, not great. He didn't drive the ball forward uh, a whole lot, but when he did, he looked pretty decent. Uh, we saw it in flashes and I wrote, uh, I can see what MDS was going for. And again, I think, I think we did. We saw there was definitely flashes there where uh, we saw that his sort of like free roam ability came into play and we saw that. Uh, he didn't really impress me, but his high energy and sort of drive, I guess, re- like made him look good, I guess. Yeah, and I think yeah. I think throughout the game, I saw a lot of a lot of Milinkovic, you know, trying to amp up his teammates a lot. He was really pushing and grinding for the win. He he really wanted it as much as his teammates did, and maybe even a little more. I would say he was just so so thrilled to be at BC Place again. He was just really trying to amp up the guys and try and get them going from the start. Um, uh, like you said, it wasn't a really big performance from him, and he had his flashes here and there. Um, but uh, like we said before earlier on in this episode, he can he can definitely offer some more on the offensive. He can take a little bit more shots at goal, maybe try and set up some more for his teammates. But I think it was a it was honestly probably his best game since the San Jose game uh, at MLS's back. Yeah, no, that's bad. I can agree with that. Uh, and then. Uh, yeah, finishing it off with the strikers, I guess. Uh, and obviously, uh, following this, we do have our interview with Patrick Metcalf, so be sure to stick around for that. Uh, uh, Theo Bear, I know you're not mad on him. He, it wasn't, it, again, it, I, I gave him the same grade as uh, Milinkovic, a 6.5. It, he, he wasn't, you know, deadly on the ball. He didn't get overly involved. Uh, but his high energy and his aggression was his biggest factor. And you touched on it earlier that, 
he paired well with Cavalini in that sense. That he's a he's a big body. He's quick. He uh, he's decently physical, uh, but he didn't do much on the ball. He didn't bring much to the offense. Uh, I think it was like the, the the forward press that is kind of we stopped talking about a little bit. Uh, I think he, it worked well, uh, at least from Theo Bear's sides. But again, his it, like his his high energy and his like aggression and like his fight made him look good but i don't think he actually brought a whole lot to the team so i went for a 6.5 yeah i'm i don't know if a lot of people know this but i'm not the biggest on the on the theo bear hype train um i think this game kind of changed changed it for me honestly if i'm being fair um i think he does have a lot to offer with his physical presence you know he's taking up quite a lot of space and he's actually really fast for someone that big of his height, he's actually pretty fast. He's got some, well, some really good pace. Six five is he? I think. Six, I think four? so. Six four, six four, five. Six, five. One of the two. Um, there was one. There was run one run in the first half, which really impressed me, where he picked up the ball around the halfway line and he turned his. I think it was Justin Morrow who he turned uh, around the corner, and then he he just dribbled all the way down to the end line, and he put in a decent ball into the box, but Cavallini couldn't get on the end of it. Um, I think. Again, like as you said, his physical presence, his aggression, and um, just his drive to get forward in the game was really good. Um, I think the next step is for him to maybe get a little bit more involved with the play. Um, he did play the role where he can give Cavallini a bit more space to drift into the box and give Cavallini a little bit more freedom with less attackers on his back. A uh, lot to build off from Theo Baron. I think a 6.5 is fair. I would maybe even go a 7, honestly. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, El Tanque, Cavallini, he got the goal. He's finally off the ground and he's running. It wasn't a penalty, you know, it's, it was live in play. Uh, he won, but I gave him a 7.5. He obviously scored the goal uh, early on in the game, put the Whitecaps in the lead early. Uh, he won both fouls that led to the goals coming off the free kick. So Baldissimo's and Nowinski's. And uh, you could see really like, the, I, I, I don't have the number on me, but I'm sure he won, you know, upwards of four or five fouls in that game. He was, uh, you know, it was reckless in a good way. You know, he was like going around, barging with his shoulders and everything. He was aggressive. He was drawing fouls. It wasn't phenomenal. He wasn't clinical. He had a late, he had a late chance that could have iced the game and finished finished it off, but he sent it over the bar. But uh, it, you know, it wasn't in terms of purely just striking and clinical, uh, you know, finishing and everything. It wasn't you know standout or whatever. But I think his aggression I and mean, it was similar to sort of Theo Bear. His energy and his aggression made him look more in this game than maybe he would have been if he had a different build or a different playing style. So I, I went for a seven point five. The aggression and the uh, you know the pace and everything helped him out and obviously the goal is always good to see but 7.5 for El Tanque for me yeah I I I, I kind of knew that maybe he would have won maybe at least one of the fouls of the two set piece goals that we scored but um, I didn't know he won both so uh, mm-hmm. I think that goes to show that he's a lot more involved with the play and he's um, really using his hold up play and winning fouls for the team a lot more now um, he's obviously settled in after not going to MLS's back um, and he looked he looked really well in this game, honestly. I think he got himself into some decent positions, and the fact that he has Bear right beside him just allows him to find those positions a lot more easily. Um, and you got to give it to him. He had 
aside from the set piece chance that he had late on in the game where he really should have scored. I mean, it was a great flick and a great touch uh, towards goal. He just narrowly missed out on a second. But if you give Cavallini service, he's going to finish. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what the Whitecaps, or at least try to put it on net. Um, but once you put in a good ball towards Cavallini, he's going to finish. And he did that to, uh, in the game. So um, I think it's a lot to build on from this performance again for him. And it really, I really do like him better in a in a two striker yeah. formation. But the thing is, I really like the Whitecaps in a four three three formation. So it's a tough, it's, it's a tough it's decision a, there. It's it's a tricky path to cross. Mm-hmm. And I, I do agree with you. I think he definitely benefits of having a second striker up there. I was kind of surprised that it was Theo Bear over to Saint Ricketts. I'm I'm quite I I like a lot of what I see from Saint Ricketts, but obviously MDS, uh, you know, teach their own. Uh, you know, maybe against Montreal uh, this upcoming Sunday, uh, myself and Sebastian, like we said before, we're going to be there. Uh, lots of content coming up, uh, especially, you know, we don't know when the next time they'll have a home game at BC Places after that next Wednesday. So we're doing what we can to bring you guys as much as we can from inside the stadium. Uh, check us out on our individual Twitters. I'm at Rigetti Ben. He's at Sebastian P74. Check the podcast out when you're up, while you're up there at 90 Plus Podcast. Uh, lots of exciting stuff coming up. And like we said, hopefully against this Montreal game, we can keep this momentum going. There's still a chance, mathematically, we can finish top of this phase uh, of play and take this uh, weird three-team series or uh, really whatever. But it's uh, yeah, I'm sure there's got some big news uh, coming up in, in the next week or so in terms of the continuation of the season. But... When they do announce it, you better believe myself and Sebastian are hopping on the mic. Uh, we'll be uh, talking probably after the, that Wednesday game. So we have two games to talk about for Montreal. Uh, but like we said, there's going to be lots coming up on Twitter. Uh, and we, myself and Sebastian, we do write as well for a number of outlets. So be sure to check us out on there as well. Uh, any last words, Sebastian, before we get to our interview with Patrick Metcalf? Uh, well, yeah, you basically summed it up all there, Ben. Uh, again, we're, we're trying to bring you guys as much coverage. We do have a little thing uh, planned out for the game against Montreal on Sunday, and that'll be up on YouTube. So uh, you guys will be able to see that and check that out. Um, and we'll release it. We'll release all the details once we have it ready for you guys to watch um, on our Twitter at 90 plus podcast. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, other than that, we're, we're really grateful to be uh, going to these games. And again, we thank the white caps and the communications team for giving the opportunity for us to really go there and cover um, the boys in blue and white. Um, and, and setting us up with Patrick Metcalf. He was a great, yeah, really of course you're about to, you're about to hear a really nice and um, gr- really, really outgoing guy in Patrick Metcalf. He's a great guy to talk to. And, um, we had a really nice chat earlier on and you guys will are just about to listen to it. It was a great chat. And, um, but yeah, hope, hopefully you guys, uh, enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Uh, myself and Ben always enjoy recording these for you guys. And hopefully you guys can enjoy, uh, the, uh, Patrick Metcalf interview. And we're back here at episode 18 on the 90 plus podcast, myself, Ben Rigetti, as always joined by my co-host Sebastian Pereira with a special guest this week. Uh, Whitecaps midfielder Patrick Metcalf has joined us on the Zoom call. So we've got a couple of questions lined up. Going to be chatting to him for the rest of this episode. Uh, Yeah, I mean, we just covered it in the first half of this episode. The Whitecaps just had their win a few days ago against Toronto. Very exciting. Uh, Me and Sebastian were both there. Good to see it live in action. 
Uh, Patrick, I mean, the team's back to winning ways. How are you feeling about that? How big was that for the team? Oh, it was huge, to say the least. Um, I went against Toronto, you know, the week leading up to the game, we were just focused on just doing anything we could to get points because, you know, we were sitting in last and this is a good opportunity to bounce back over the table and get our hopes back up and get our confidence going for, you know, the next two games against Montreal and whatever is to come after that. But it was huge, um, definitely in terms of confidence in the locker room. Um, yeah, it was big. And what was it like seeing that goal from Baldi? I mean, a guy you've you've been friends with for a while and you've grown up together in the academy. What was that like? What was that moment like? Yeah, definitely for a lot of guys on the outside of the club, um, they would have thought like, oh, it was like a wonder goal. Um, it was like obviously a really good goal, but people within the club, big people that know him, it wasn't a surprise to anyone. You know, we know he's been able to do this for years and he's kind of been plagued by injury. So that's a bit unfortunate, but everyone knows that he has that ability to do that. He does it in training every day. Um, and it was really good to see him do it in his, his second start in MLS. Uh, so I guess sort of focusing back on you, you started off uh, with the Whitecaps second team, Whitecaps FC2. Uh, do you want to just tell us a little bit about that experience, how old you were when you joined the program and that sort of transition from amateur to a bit more structured and professional academy soccer? Yeah, it was a pretty big uh, transition. Um, I first joined the Whitecaps Academy um, in 2016 at the end of grade 12. So it's kind of a late bloomer in terms of my youth development. But I stayed the, I joined the U18 team. And then after that season, I took a gap year with the U18s again. And halfway through my gap year season, that's when I signed with Whitecaps too. And I spent the following year until they folded. But it was, uh, it was definitely an eye-opener into how the professional game is, you know, in the locker room, how it is on the field, like trying to learn a winning mentality on the field um, is huge in professional sports. So it's definitely a big, uh, big transition from youth to professional. And did you, did you play with Fonzie during those days for a couple of I was games never, with too? I was never rostered on the same team as him, but he would always, he'd come down and train sometimes, or if I would train with the first team, he'd be training there. So um, I just trained with him. I never was actually on the same team as him. And what was it like a couple of weeks ago to see him lift the Champions League trophy? That must have been something all the academy boys were just oh, yeah. absolutely going nuts for. Yeah, it's huge. He's definitely a huge inspiration to, you know, myself and to everyone who's involved in soccer within Canada and it's not even just Canada, in the whole world. Because his story is so remarkable. You know, coming from, it was Ghana, a refugee camp in Ghana, to winning the Champions League. Um, it's never been done before, so everyone's so happy for him. And then, uh, so you yourself, you spent some time with uh, TSS FC Rovers as well, and you spent a year at UBC. Uh, the experience you gained there and stuff, that kind of, did that help bridge the gap going from the Whitecaps? And like you said, you're a late bloomer in high school and sort of stuff, uh, to making that jump to an MLS first team. Yeah. Um, after Whitecaps 2 folded, I, I was just, I had gotten a back, a bad back injury. Um, I had a bulging disc in my back, so that put me out for eight months. And then by it was around May, I was starting to get my fitness back, and that's when TSS TS Rovers and Colin Elms, um, he phoned me and asked if I wanted to play, and I said, yeah, that'd be great. Um, it was a really good uh, program they have there at TSS. You know, the league they play in in the Northwest is, I think it's the most difficult uh, USL League 2, uh, USL League 2 league, yeah. Um, and they have a lot of players in that league that are playing in the MLS now. So it was very good games, good training. 
Um, then that transitioned me to play for UBC for only a couple of games, but we ended up making the the semifinals of the Canadian uh, like Canadian Championship kind of. So it was a good experience. And then you go from that, from being with TSS Rovers to then, as you said, signing your first professional contract. Um, what was that moment like? Obviously, for you and your family, it must have been a great moment. But what was it like watching this team growing up and, play, and going to BC Place and then actually signing for them? Yeah, I when I was smaller, I remember I won a contest when I was like seven or eight. I got to take the like take like a penalty shot to start off the game at Swanguard. And that was back when they were in the USL. So growing up, being a fan of them and watching um, to finally signing the first team, uh, it's tough. It's not something I necessarily expected, but I've always believed in myself through my youth career. So you know, I'm happy I was able to do it. You know, now that you're on the team, you're starting to get some minutes. You've been there for a few months now. Obviously, it's been a difficult season with the season being, uh, you know, on pause and the pandemic and everything. Uh, in terms of, you know, in and around the facility, who have you kind of clicked and gotten along well with or the most since you've arrived at the first team? Yeah, um, you know, with COVID and everything, the facility is much different. We're not all in the same locker room anymore. So our first team, we consist of three locker rooms now. So some people are using the first team locker room. Some players are using our U23 team. Some players are using the academy. So I'm in the locker room with uh, some of the, the home, all the homegrowns. So we spend a lot of time together. Um, but yeah, bonding with, you know, some of the older guys that I didn't know as well before. They're all super supportive and they have a lot of good guidance for us younger players since we're a very young team. So they've been very helpful in the acclimatizing to the first team. And who has helped you the most, really, to get to this point? Like, is there anyone you would recognize, uh, maybe within the club, maybe outside the club, from the many academies you've been at? Who would, yeah. who would you say has helped you a lot? Yeah, I've been asked this before, but it's such a it's so hard to pinpoint just one person within the Whitecaps organization because every single person, whether it be like a, a coach, you know, like a staff member, like a video guy, every single person has had some role in you know having me sign a professional contract but I think above everything else in my family that's uh, been the leading uh, factor to me becoming a professional soccer player. Uh, and then today news came out the club announced that uh, Craig Dalrymple would be leaving his post as the academy director next month. Uh, how is your relationship with him during your time uh, in the academy? Yeah Craig I uh, can't even speak highly highly enough of him. Um, he was the one that brought me into the Whitecaps, uh, and he, you know, he watched. Uh, he helped me with my my trial here with the U18s, and he was the one that said that they wanted to sign me to the academy. So, if it wasn't for him, I don't think I'd be be in the position I'm in right now. So, I can't I can't say you know how much he's done for me. So, and how how do you think over? I mean, you spent some time with Vanny Sartini uh, in the first team. How do you think he's going to acclimatize to filling in that role? Um, bridging the gap between the youth teams and the first team now that he has that role? Yeah, I think he's going to do it pretty effortlessly. Um, Vanny is a coach that he works a lot with the younger players. He's always he's very talkative with us, all the home runs, and he wants the best for us, as do the other coaches. But especially him, I think he's very open and supportive and talkative with us. So that's just going to transition into his, his role as the head of the academy now. So. 
um, growing up, you spent a short amount of time over in Germany training with uh, the FC Nuremberg uh, youth team. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that and how that chance came around? Yeah, I'm just trying to think. That was back in 2015, I believe. Um, I think it was an old coach that had a connection in Germany, and I trained with Nuremberg for um, with their academy team. And at the time, they were a very good team. I remember they had three uh, German youth national players. So it was a good, it was another good eye-opening experience to see how the level was in, in Europe because that's what I've always wanted to see and test myself against. Um, but yeah, that was a good experience back then and something I still talk about with my parents to this day. That's great. That's great, man. Obviously, that was in a more, I guess, normal environment. But um, you go down to Orlando just a couple months ago um, and you're amidst after, I mean, the biggest part of a global pandemic and everything's kind of starting to ease down. But um, you make your debut in Orlando and not the most normal of settings. No fans are there. Um, obviously, the San Jose game didn't go as um, the club wouldn't have expected. But what was it like to make your debut in that environment and just maybe give us a rundown of what the whole experience down in Orlando was like? Yeah, um, my debut was, uh, I remember it was like the 89th minute, I think, and Leonard Owusu went down and I heard my name getting called. I was like, oh my God, this is finally my chance to you know, get my professional debut in MLS. But definitely it, it did feel weird because there's no fans. Um, I all felt weird to a lot of guys, but for me it was kind of a similar experience because I had never really played in front of fans before. Um, but obviously that game, we didn't, it didn't turn out how we wanted it to, but I was really happy to get my debut and my family and my cousins and my extended family were all watching. So I was really happy about that. Yeah, for sure. You must've gotten a whole lot of calls after that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah I did. Yeah. And in terms of actually being in Orlando in the bubble, obviously you're in your room long hours of the day or whatever, what would just be a typical day look like? You know, the training, the kind of food. How would you spend your free time in the uh, in the hotel? We saw photos of the food. It didn't look too great. Like, was <laughs> it? Uh, those photos. That was actually just like the first day we got there because oh, gotcha. right we got to our room. We had to quarantine for was, like like twelve hours, twelve to twenty four hours, depending on how fast the results came back. But and that was the food they had delivered to our room. So that was just one meal. But. The rest of the time, the food is actually pretty good. It's decent. Um, it's just like a buffet-style um, type of food. But the typical day consisted of basically like our training was at night, like at 9.30 or 10 every night just because of the weather and also comes because our games are really late. So it was basically in the day, it was just breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And in between then, it was sleeping or playing video games pretty much. <laughs> what was your go-to? What was your go-to game down there? Uh, war, uh, Warzone. Okay, yeah, he's on the Warzone grind too. Watch <laughs> everyone brought their PS4, so. Oh, that's great. And would would you go back? Would you go back and relive that or not? Nah? Uh, yeah. I don't know if it if that means that we're able to play soccer, then yeah. But like I think now this situation is changing, so. Yeah. And what would what would what do you think is gonna happen after? Have you heard any? words here and there about what happens after these Canadian games? Yeah, we've been hearing a little bit. Um, you know, we might be having to relocate to the States. We're not too sure yet. We haven't really got told um, the final word yet, but I'm sure we'll be told is or the next week because, you know, we have their next two games against Montreal, which is totally what we're focusing on. And we, we haven't even talked about what's going to happen next just because we're so focused on these next two games. But, you know, within the next week, I'm sure everyone will know what's happening. 
And uh, you, we talked about these Canadian games. Your first start came in these, uh, these batch of games uh, out in Toronto. For you, uh, you know, not being just, you know, bringing Braun on in the last couple of minutes to see your name right off the get-go on the starting 11, what is that feeling like in that dressing room for you? Yeah, um, I remember the, the day before training, um, I got put on the starters team uh, in training, in our pregame training. And then that's when I knew I was starting, obviously. And then I'd say the nerves started picking up uh, within like a few hours of the game. Um, but it's just a matter of focus, concentration. And I think a lot of it stemmed from just how was I going to help my team you know, get points in this game. It's unfortunate we lost one nothing, but I think it was a much better performance than our first game in Toronto, and I think our last performance against them where we won was, a, was built on from our second game. So, yeah, it's just a matter of, you know, what can I do to help the team win? That's, that's basically all you're thinking. Mm-hmm. And what was it like to play against uh, international level, level players? Obviously, Michael Bradley was in the starting 11 when, when you started. Alejandro Pesuela, who's had a Champions League experience. Pablo Piotti as well. Um, all these big names. Josie Altador as well. Like, what's it like playing against those guys? Yeah, it was a good. It was a good experience. It was also a tough experience, you know, playing against like a midfield that is full of internationals, um, and they're very good internationals as well. And I'm, this is my first game starting as a professional. Um, it's very good to to play against them, but you also learn a learn a lot when you play against them. So, I took it as a really good learning experience that I can build on um, into the next coming games. And uh, I think just sort of before we wrap up here, is there anything you want to tell Whitecaps fans or there's something that you think they should know about you that maybe isn't out there yet? Hmm. I think. Uh, you help specify a question, maybe. It's hard to think of it on the top of my head. Uh, um, God, turn the question on me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know, maybe just sort of along the lines of... Uh, maybe, you know, a position that people don't know that you are able to play or willing to play, or if you're, you know, if you're the best FIFA player on the team, whatever, just, you know, a little, <laughs> a little, little fun fact. Or just best Warzone player? Yeah, uh, no, I think for White Cats fans, you know, is um, a very versatile player. Um, you know, in training, I think I've played every single position this season except for striker and goalie. Um, I used to play as a right back when I grew up. I played as a center mid, a center back played as a left back. I used to play as a winger growing up. So I'm a very versatile player and that's what I pride myself on. So um, whatever position I'm called into play, as long as I'm playing, I'm happy. How many Warzone dubs you got? Come on. Uh, <laughs> I like, like 10 or 11, I think. Okay. okay. I'm not like a huge addict on it, but yeah. Fair enough. Nice, nice. All right, well, Patrick, I think that's about it. Thank you very much for coming on the show, and we wish you the best of luck in these Montreal games and everything going forward. All right, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. All right, see you, Patrick. Thanks for coming on. Thank Thank you. you. See you, guys.